Well, I want to start off by asking a question. Has anybody heard of Operation Mincemeat? No? Nobody seen the movie? It's an incredible, true story of <clears throat> during World War II when uh, the British and the Allies, they wanted to invade Sicily and take it away from Hitler and his army. But Sicily was heavily, heavily defended. And Churchill knew that there would be huge, huge casualties and wasn't even sure that the invasion would be successful because Sicily was so heavily defended and ready for invasion. It's, a, it's just an incredible story. I was reading about it, and then I found out that they actually made a movie about it. And so they started devising a plan. How can we invade Sicily without having massive casualties. So they start thinking, well, we need to convince Hitler that the invasion is going to come in from somewhere else. And so they started working these plans, and none of them were working. And then this one uh, officer came up with a plan that just sounded so crazy and so outrageous. And the plan was this. They were going to get, find a corpse of a middle-aged man. They were going to dress him up in a British officer's uniform. They were going to put together some fake documents. And they went through, you, you would have to read it or even see the movie to the extent that they went to make it look like the evasion was going to come from some other place than Sicily. And they put these briefcase and locked him to his wrist, drew all these plans up, even made up a fake uh, love letter from his girlfriend and put a lock of hair in it. <laughs> it's, it's really cool. And so they get all this plan and they get it all together and then they take him and they said, okay, how are we going to get him in there so the Germans will get him and and, and read these documents and think the evasion is going to come through some other place. First they said, oh, we'll, we'll drop him from a plane. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Poor guy's dead, but still. And I thought, well, no, he'll break apart, and we don't know if they'll find what they need to find. So they came up with the plan of taking him in a submarine, getting off the coast of Spain, because Spain at that time was pretty much neutral, and get him as close to shore as possible and launch him out of the submarine and let him float to shore or get be picked up by a Spanish fishing boat. So they did. They made up all these documents and they put in there this really extravagant plan of they were going to invade Greece, not Sicily. And so they launched the body and sure enough, he was found by Spanish fishermen taken in. Uh, the Nazi regime got wind of it. So they got the papers, and they started going over the papers. 
And to make a long story short, they ended up believing at the last minute all the British and allies were waiting to invade and they had an invasion day. They didn't know if the Germans believed the lie. Didn't know. Right up until the invasion. And so the Germans get it, they evaluated it, they looked at it, and they came to the conclusion that it was real. So they drew almost all of their army, their military hardware, out of Sicily and went into Greece. And then the British and the Allies invaded, and they went in and they took over Sicily with very minimal casualties. And that was the beginning of the thrust into Europe in World War II. They were able to establish a beachhead. They took Sicily. And from there, they started marching forward. Incredible, incredible story. When they took it to Churchill, none of the, none of the generals were like, no, this is no way. It'll never work. They took it to Churchill. And he goes, this is absolutely unbelievable. And the generals are all like, yep, 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 that's what we were saying. We're just going to squash it. He goes, no, it's so unbelievable. I think it'll work. And so he gave his okay. Sure enough, they launched it, worked perfectly, and the British and the Allies were able to establish a stronghold in Sicily. I encourage you to read about it and even watch the movie. The movie's out. I think it's on Netflix. Oh, no, I know. I'm sorry. I hate Netflix, but yeah, it's on Netflix. But it, it's an incredible story. Why am I bringing this up? What does this have to do with anything? You're wondering to yourself, thinking, oh my gosh, that little TIA James had, Jim had, is affecting him more than we believe. But I'm going to hopefully tie it into something that will be applicable to, this, to us this morning. I can't help but wonder, after seeing this, I was watching it, fascinated by it. But then I began to wonder, if sometimes the church doesn't fall for the same tactic. See, Hitler took his gaze off where it should have been and put it somewhere else, and he paid dearly for it. Paid a huge price. I look around, and I see so many battles everywhere. Just seems like there's a battle raging around every corner. There's culture wars that are raging, political wars, the temperatures off the charts. Sometimes families can't even get together and have dinner. If politics comes up, it divides families. Clashes over world views. There's even battles over definitions today. What is a man? What is a woman? Did you ever think that we would be asking that question? But yet, how much of a, is it dominating the airways today? There's deep, deep divisions in this nation. And many are picking sides belonging to this side, belonging to that side, or being pressured to take a side. I want us to turn to Joshua chapter 5. 
I want us to go back in history and look at a battle that was getting ready to take place. And what happened just before that battle took place? Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I love this. I absolutely love this encounter. And I love the response. Here is Joshua. He's on a mission. And that mission has been directed by God. Go in. Attack Jericho. And then he sees this individual standing there and he says, Are you for us or are you against us? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And he says, Neither. Neither. What a, what, a, what a strange kind of at first answer. Because Joshua was there doing what God had commanded to do. But yet, he says neither. You would think that, yeah, I'm here to back you up, Joshua. I'm against your enemy. We're going we're to do God's work. That's not what he said. Neither. There's a very important lesson, I think, that Joshua was learning. And I think as the body today, it's critical that we learn too. The question shouldn't be, God, are you with us? But are we with God? I think that's the point that was being brought forth to Joshua. You see, Joshua, God had a, a master plan that was only partly revealed to Joshua. Go in and take possession of the promised land. But the master plan was so much bigger. We have the privilege of looking from hindsight and from a, the perspective of the new covenant. The plan has been from the very beginning, not just to go in and destroy Jericho, not just to go in and take possession of the physical land there to fulfill the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The plan was so much more larger than that. So much more. 
Joshua only had a glimpse of part of God's master plan. And he was being obedient to it. But the plan, the master plan of God was to bring, bring redemption to the world through Jesus Christ. This was just a piece of the puzzle, but it wasn't the whole thing. Joshua only had a glimpse. God had a master plan that was partly revealed. But the plan has been redemption from the beginning. How do we bring this back to us today? In the things that we're doing in our lives, the things that we're doing as the church, as a church, is it keeping in mind the master plan of God? Or are we maybe falling for some tactics that were used successfully against the Germans and we're starting to get our eyes off the prize? You know, I find in my experience being involved in off and on in ministry for 40 years, that when a body gets its eyes off the master plan, is when the infighting will start. That's when all these little things start taking such huge importance and they start taking a place that they never should have took. Because we don't have our eyes on the prize and we don't have our eyes on God's master plan of redemption for the world. I've seen, shamefully, I've seen fighting and infighting over the dumbest things. The dumbest things. That has nothing to do with the redemption of the world and reaching the lost for his glory. I don't like this. I don't like that. That don't look right. This don't look right. And I think to myself, man, have we fallen for a tactic that the enemy's using to stop us from doing what God wants us to do? What is the master plan of God? You know what? It's not hard. We have a way of making things so complicated and difficult what is the master plan of God John 3 16 no it can't be that simple yeah I can sure I can I mean if, if God says it then it has to be okay right let's turn there let's I think the last uh, most time we see John 3 16 behind two football goals you know 90% of the population don't even know what it means. But there it is, John 3.16. Well, let's turn to John 3.16. Not putting them down for holding up a sign. Hey, more power to you. 
But I think it's a little bit more successful if you're sharing it with somebody. John 3.16. Here comes the master plan of God. From Genesis to Revelation. From everything that you see happening in the Old Testament. The promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Everything in the Old Testament. The kings of Israel, God's plans, Moses, Mount Sinai. Everything is coming to a head. Right here in John 3, 16. Everything was taking us that direction to this point. Everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What's God want to do? He wants to save the world. Everything brings us to this point. Whoever believes in him, him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Do you hear what, the, what, what God just said? Not that he just came to save the world, but the world stands condemned. Man stands condemned. Sometimes I feel like we have lost this message. The world stands condemned. And it was so important to God to save, to bring redemption to the world. He sent his son to die upon a cross, a horrible death, and to pay the price of our sins. That's how important it was to God. What's God's master plan? It's not difficult. How do we line up to that plan? This is our North Star. That's what we kind of look to to make sure we're heading in the right direction. And I'm speaking as a whole when I, when I talk about the church. As a whole, what is the master plan? John 3, 16. Oh, brother, you're making it too simple. Well, I'd rather keep it simple. I've seen what complicating it does. It brings you to a grinding halt. And we get so caught up in so many different things then all of a sudden we are not fulfilling God's plan. The lost take a back seat to everything else. There's no longer any burden in our hearts for the lost. Luke 19.10 says the Son of Man came. Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. It's not hard. 
Second Peter 3, 9 says, everyone, he, God wants everyone to come to repentance. God is not up there, man, just waiting to send somebody to hell. He's not up there just waiting for somebody to, to just like, yeah, crush him. If that was the case, he would have never sent Jesus. It's just the opposite. We see in Jesus coming on the scene and going through what he went through, we see the heart of God crying out to the church how much he loves this world and he wants to bring redemption into the world. He wants to bring redemption. He wants to see broken lives put back together. Sometimes I see just the opposite. As the body, we're picking sides. We're going, we're going to jump on this side, and we're going to jump on that side, man. And, and we're going to dig in our heels, and we're going to stand, and we're going to do this. And we carry labels, and we're with this bunch, and we're with this bunch. Where's God's master plan in all of this? We have to always keep ourselves in check to make sure that we're looking at the North Star. If not, the church loses its way. And when the church loses its way, it becomes something that is just not pretty. Because that's when all the infighting starts. You might be asking, what does this have to do with all the battles you were talking about earlier? Simply, simply this. When we engage in these battles and start picking sides, there's always danger, always danger of losing sight of the master plan. Always. I wish that some of the believers that I work with, they, the fever they have for the political realm, I wish they had it for the master plan of God. I wish that they had that same zeal for the person that they're walking by that doesn't know God. Brother, I know I'm on the right side of God because it's in his word. And you very well may be. But then let's ask ourselves, are we trying to win an argument or are we trying to win a soul? Have we taken a side and we're just out to win an argument? Oh, we'll use the word as an argument. I'm going to win this argument. But in our hearts and in our minds, are the person that we're talking to, are we seeing that person as somebody that's created in the image of God? Even if they're not, even if she's not saying what we like, even if they look like someone we wouldn't want to hang around with, are we seeing them in the image of God, created in the image of God, that are lost this is who Jesus died for. This is who God sent his son for. I don't care what he likes. I don't care what he sounds like. I don't care what his political views are. I don't care how he talks. If we get caught up in all of that and we start drawing lines in the dirt and we start seeing these people as the enemy, you are now completely ineffective. You will no way be able to reach that person for Christ. It's done. It's over. I've learned this the hard way. I have gotten in arguments and I'm bound and determined to win this argument because by God, I know I'm right. 
man, I have just stopped all ability to win that person to Christ by my actions. Now when I want to come back and talk about the love of God, they're going to look at me like typical hypocritical person in the church. Exactly how they're going to look. I've done it. I've been there. I've had that. Man, I thought that guy was a Christian. Because I didn't act right. Because I had to win this argument. Close the door. I won't be able to share Jesus with his. I, I have to pray that somebody else will bring him in because I've done too much damage. We don't got to be careful when we're taking sides. Because it's not about God is on my side. It's about are you on God's side? The very person that you're, having, you're engaging, God loves that person deeply. He knows he's fallen. He knows Anything that comes out of his mouth is not going to shock God, although it shocks us. But God is reaching to that person. He wants that person to be saved. He wants redemption. Do we? A few Sundays ago, I asked, how much value do you put on the kingdom of God? The pearl of great price. This is kind of a follow-up message with this I want to ask another question how much value do we put on the mission of God how much value does it something we think about on a daily basis I'm about to read you some statistics here and I really debated whether I wanted to read them or not. When I read them, it just absolutely broke my heart. But I thought, you know what? Let's go for it. Let's do it. Because I don't want this to say, man, Brother Jim, that was a good reminder you gave us this morning. I don't want that. What I hope it is, for me, it, it is for me and I hope it is for everyone in this room is a wake-up call. Not a reminder, but a wake-up call. Susan and I, we, we get together and we have devotion and prayer together. It's one of the most precious part of the day. And we pray for our family. We pray for our kids. We pray for a revival. I am praying for a great awakening. I was just talking to Alex a couple of days ago. I said, Alex, the only thing, the only thing that can turn this nation around and this world around is the power of the gospel. There's nothing else. There's no arguments that can be made. There's no politician that can change it. There's nothing else that's going to be able to break the stronghold of what's happening today except the gospel message. That's it. It doesn't matter. Anything else is going to fall short. So I've been praying for... And I'm believing. I am believing. I'm tired of looking around saying, oh my gosh, the world's so jacked up. All right, well, what are you going to do about it? 
What are you doing about it? So Susan and I, we pray and we have all of our family, of course, we pray for and everything, but, and I was like, man, we need to even start getting our prayer more pinpoint because we pray, we hit all the points that we pray for, which is good, but there's so much need in the world. And one of the things that have just really crushes my heart, and I'm glad there's no children in here right now, I'll be honest with you. But one of the things that are crushing my heart, and it's been in the news lately, and some of the news has been trying to actually cover it up, but the sex trafficking of children, it just drops me to my knees. It just kills me. So we be, I said, I told Susan, you know what, Susan, let's start praying for the children. Let's start praying for the organizations that, that, are, that are trying to make a difference. Let's pray for those children that, that broke loose, but man, they're so broken, so shattered. Let's pray for their healing. Let's put our prayers to work, man. Let's intercede for these children. And so we've been, and we included it in our prayer time. And I was just curious, and I started doing some researching. And I'm sorry ahead of time that what I'm about to read to you, but we can't bury our head in the sands. Man, we don't need to be arguing about this and that about the church. We need to be on our face and interceding, praying, and doing everything we can possibly do to try to make a difference in this world. This is tragic, what I'm about to read. The U.S accounts for almost 52% of global human, human trafficking with the sex trafficking of minors accounting for the largest percentage. Our country is the biggest consumer of sex trafficking of children. 52%. Traffickers make over $9.5 billion annually in the U.S. Did you know that? I didn't. I had no idea. Over 1 million children are trafficked for sex every year throughout the world. 1 million. Some children forced into human trafficking are as young as 4 years old. The average age of a sex trafficked child is 13 to 14. Those that are exploiting these children can make 150 to $200,000 per child a year. 70% of tra uh, transactions of human, this is just something I threw in there because I thought we need to be aware 70% of transition, transactions of human trafficking with underage girls start on the internet. A couple other things I want to read. This is nothing new to anybody. This is stats from 2020. According to the data, 930,160 abortions take place in the U.S. annually. 
almost a million children a year were aborted. Between January 2020 to June 2023, New Mexico saw a larger increase in abortion than any other state. We're leading the way. New Mexico saw 6,480 more abortions between 2020 to June 2023. That amount is an increase of 220%. Suicides, 12.3 million seriously thought about suicide last year. 3.5 million made plans to commit suicide. 1.7 million attempted suicide. 48,183 were successful of taking their own life. New Mexico has been consistently 50% higher than the US rate for suicides. And lastly, over 37 million in the US are currently on antidepressants. The richest, most prosperous country in the world. 37 million people are taking chemicals because they can't deal with life. I know it's a tough pill to swallow. I have never wrestled more for putting together a teaching than this one. This teaching right here literally had me up all night. I told God I didn't want to do it. I really didn't. I would much rather be up here, pick something that's really uplifting, fluffy, and we could just have a good old time together. I did not want to do this teaching. I didn't want to read those stats. And I said, Lord, please, 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 if this is not you, confirm it, because I don't want to do it. I didn't get that confirmation. I got the confirmation the other way. And I think it's important, because what battles are we fighting? What battles are we, what hill are we choosing to die on? I've been praying, God, help me to see. Help me to see and look through your eyes. You see, I have, I am standing before you this morning, and I'm going to make a confession. I used to be so on fire. I had such a burden for the lost that I could not look at an individual and not think about where they're at, where there's destiny. If they was to die right now, where are they going to go? In my mind, even though I was talking, I was always praying, God, please, please open the door. Please open the door so I can share with this individual somehow, some way. Everything that I used to do that was at the forefront of my mind and my heart. 
And I seen God move crazy, miraculous, always. Always. At my job. I didn't go with my job just to go to do my job. I did my job to the best of my ability and to the Lord. But when I went to my job, I said, Lord, please, please open the door that I can share the gospel because I'm surrounded by people that if they died right now, they would be facing eternity without God. That has died in me. I don't know why I let it. I got too involved in other things. I took, start taking too many sides. I start doing this and I start doing that and I became something I never wanted to be. I stand here today before you and I repent. I am not going to go forward the way I am. I'm going to go forward the way I was birthed into the kingdom. On fire, zealous, and a burden for God. I don't have time. And I know I'm an elder of this church. But I don't have time to get in these little spit spats or whatever. I can't no more. I can't. Whatever time I have left on this earth, I want to dedicate it to glorifying God and fulfilling his master plan of reaching the lost. I'm going to step out on a limb. David, I told you, I can't keep my mouth shut no more. I don't care what this church looks like. I don't care which way we come in through a door. I don't care what instruments we have up here playing. All I care about is are we glorifying God and we, are we following the North Star? If this stuff, if this stuff, if this stuff means more than the lives out there that are dying and on their way to hell, then we've lost our way. If this stuff all around us is consuming us, And all that energy, all that everything, all the money, all the time, if it's not being invested into this world that Jesus died for, we've lost our way. And I don't want to go that way no more. And I hope you don't either. I am not saying this in a way of condemnation whatsoever. What I'm saying is, I truly believe God is doing something. I truly believe a great awakening is coming. I truly believe the church is going to start waking up. I truly believe revival is coming. And I want to be in the midst of it. I want to be right in the middle of it. I'm like, God, I'm not, don't follow me. I, I want to be on your side. I want to see what you're doing. I'm tired of going and trying to make something happen and then saying, God bless that, God bless that. No, I want to follow God because I know God is doing something. Are you looking around and seeing? We're starting to see pockets of revival, true revival. Not this weird stuff hanging off a chandelier, but people repenting, falling on their face before God. We're starting to see a break loose. We're starting to see a break loose massively in the young people. Something I've been praying for for 40 years. We're starting to see it. CBC, do you want to be a part of it? 
Are you tired of the status quo? Are you tired of the same thing every Sunday? Or do you really want to start to see a massive movement of God? Because I believe if we really do, it'll happen. It'll happen. And it all starts right here. Prayer. Pray. Every single morning. I read some statistics that are horrendous. And New Mexico is one of the worst. My brothers and sisters, man, let's start interceding. Every single day, let's start our day praying. There's children in the state that are being sexually abused. There's, there's lives everywhere that need God. You walk around, and if we'll stop in our busy day and look into face, what do you see? You see many times, you see pain. You see hollowness. You see blank stares because this world is leaving. They're, they're leaving them bankrupt. But we have the answer. We've got it. David, we've got it. Dino, we've got it. Those that feel like life isn't worth living, we have the message of life in Jesus. If we just extend it and give it to them. David, you just got a new job. You've been sharing with me all kinds of stories how God's using with you. Share a few right now. Yeah, thank you, David. These are just stories we hear. We're like, wow, it's real. If we just make ourselves available, it's real. I'm going to end with this, Matthew. I've used this scripture many times, but Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. And hear the heart of Christ. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and the healing of every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. Pray for the Father to send out workers. Let's pray, man. Let's throw caution to the wind. Let's get up and let's pray. And it all starts, I want to ask you to pray one prayer to start off. One prayer. and It's a little bit of a risky prayer. But it's a necessity prayer. God, give me a heart for the lost. The reason I say it's risky, because when he starts to do, your heart will start to break. It'll start to ache. You'll have some very painful moments because you'll start feeling in a way that will drive you to act. I've got to get back to the way God had me. I've got to get back to the master plan. I've got to realign myself on the North Star. I pray that you all want the same thing. We can do it all together. We can just have some great adventures. We can hear testimony as testimony of what David just shared. 
We can see lives put back together. We can have problems of, doggone, this church ain't big enough no more because lives are being stored. I don't care about numbers, but what I do care about is lives being restored. And if this place is full of people that have been healed by the power of God, hallelujah, man, that's what we need. When a broken life comes in, and that shattered life comes in, they don't care what this place looks like. What they came for was God people, being around people that love them. When I got saved, you know what church I went to? A warehouse. It was in a warehouse. We got married in that warehouse, huh? <laughs> I didn't care what it looked like. It could have been a cardboard box. I was so excited about being saved, and I just wanted to be around other people that were saved. All I'm asking for this morning is prayer. That's it. Just pray. Let's start with praying. Can we commit to that? Just pray. God, move. Pray for revival. I'm going to end again. I'm sorry. I'm starting to sound like a Pentecostal preacher here. But there's a song that I was listening to this morning. Young, young man. And the lyrics, I was listening, I told Susan, I said, oh my gosh, do you hear the lyrics of this song? It's crazy. And she came out of the bathroom, she was just about in tears. She goes, oh my gosh. But listen to the lyrics of this song, because it speaks volumes. And then we'll close and get ready for potluck. Can I show you my monsters? Can I show you my pain? And the addictions that strangle the life from my veins? Can I tell you my secrets and confess every sin? I don't need another hero. I just really need a friend. Oh, can I? Can I? Do you see me? I pretend it doesn't hurt me. But inside my insecurities are building up like a wall I cannot climb. I'm sinking further into the darkness of my reality. I thought things would change, but now, by now, but it don't look good because I'm broken up on the inside. I'm trying my best just to stay alive, but I don't know if it's worth it. Can I show you my monsters? Can I show you my pain, the addictions that strangle the life from my veins? Can I tell you my secrets and confess every sin? I don't need another hero, I just need a friend. From the outside, you might think everything is okay, but inside, my skies are dark and gray, and my heart is full of storms that never end. I didn't want this, but I found the ledge I'm standing on, and these broken wings are never too far gone to fly. So I'm reaching out for the last time, I've turned the page on my past life because I don't know if it's worth it. Can I show you my monsters? Can I show you my pain and the addictions that strangle the life from my veins? Can I tell you my secrets and confess every sin? I don't need another hero. I just really need a friend. You don't need all the reasons. You don't need the right words to say. Sometimes the hardest part of reaching out is when your hand gets pushed away. 
but I'm begging you to hear me now while there is still little time. If you care enough to listen, friend, you might just save my life. I heard that song this morning and I thought, man, does that not describe so many people today? I don't need a hero. I just need a friend. I just need a friend. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord God. And Lord, I just, Lord, I'm not even sure what to pray at this point, God. Everything has been said. I know this, this body. I know their hearts and how beautiful they are. And I know that, man, when broken lives come into this place, there is restoration because of the love of this body. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you, we, we, let me rephrase that, that we would just seek to see what you are doing. I'm not going to ask that you bless us. I'm just going to ask that you reveal to us what you're doing so that we can get involved. You're about saving lives. I pray that that will be our North Star in this body. I pray, Father, that there will be a burden for the lost birthed in our hearts. And if, if that burden is already there, thank God. And I pray that it would burn even more and that we would just be a part of what you're doing. And Lord, that we be a part of, of what you're about to do. We are living in divided times. We are living in angry times. We are living in hatred times. But we are living in times where the light could shine all that much more brighter if we allow it. Use us. Let us be your voice. Let us be your hands. Make us sensitive to those who are around. Let us look and look and not just look past an individual, but let us look into their eyes and see the pain and the hurt that that individual might be going through. And then just let us be used to bring the words of life. God, I just... Thank you for this body. I am incredibly excited for what you're going to do, what you're already doing and what you're going to do. And it's all, everything that's going to happen in this place is for your glory. We're just privileged of being a part. Lord, we just love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to uh, just take a few minutes. We're going to get ready for the, the Lord's Supper, take communion. And uh, with that, I just want to give you all a few minutes of uh, praying, preparing your hearts to take communion, and then we'll go ahead and take communion this morning.